If you have a Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 20. If you're new to Redeemer, we've been making our way slowly but surely through the book of Revelation. We're drawing to the end. If you were with us last week, we looked at least briefly at that most famous of passages on the millennial reign of Christ. And we talked about those different options, if you will, related to understanding this millennial passage, this thousand-year reign of Jesus. We looked at amillennialism, postmillennialism, uh, dispensational premillennialism, historic premillennialism. And you'll remember that I planted my feet firmly in midair when it came to the millennial question. But it seems to me whatever view of the millennium you think best accounts for your study of Scripture, it seems much of what is emphasized in these verses, 1 down to verse 10, is the end of Satan. At least that's the crescendo of this passage in verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. The great enemy of God's people will have finally met his end. We think maybe that His career started, if you will, as an exalted angel who because of pride fell into sin and led with him a host of angelic beings in rebellion against God. He has ever since been the opponent of God and God's purposes and God's people. He was defeated at the cross when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven Ever since, Satan has been dead man walking, still opposing God and his people, persecuting the people of God, tempting the people of God, but knowing that he was destined for the lake of fire. And we saw it last week, and I just read it to you. There it is. The beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire in chapter 19 And here in chapter 20, the devil thrown in as well. This unholy, counterfeit trinity finally defeated. We sing about this. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His, uh oh, how's it go? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. That's not it. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Amen. Thank you. His doom is sure, and here it is, the second coming of Jesus Christ, depending on where you put it, related to the millennium. 
But then in verse 11 and following, the much-anticipated day of judgment has come. I say much-anticipated. Paul said in Acts chapter 17, so having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent because God has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Paul spoke of a day. In Romans chapter 2, Paul said, Do you think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus... You've never put your faith in Christ, and you think that's not needed because, listen, you've been living your life, and God hasn't judged you yet. Paul says, don't think lightly of God's kindness and patience. That kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. He goes on, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Jesus said it like this. In John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So this anticipated hour this anticipated day has now come. Now, it's hard because, again, depending on your millennial position, when do these things exactly take place? If you're inclined toward a premillennial position that Jesus Christ is going to come and then reign for a thousand years, then you believe at that first coming the righteous will be resurrected and judged at that time. Christ will reign for a thousand years. Satan will lead his final rebellion. Christ will destroy that rebellion, and then the unbelieving will be raised and judged, the passage we're going to look at now. And so you might see that there would be a, a, a judgment of believers at the beginning of the millennium, and then a judgment for unbelievers at the end of the millennium. If you're persuaded by an amillennial or even a postmillennial position, you would see this final judgment to be the judgment of both believers and unbelievers. That we are in the millennial kingdom now as Christ is reigning from heaven at the end of which he's going to come and judge both believers and unbelievers. But let's just quickly say a few things about what I think is here, even though 
boy, we could pull in all sorts of other passages of Scripture to try to fill this out. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. So this seems to be somewhat of the setting of this great judgment, but it seems to teach that judgment will come at the hands of a glorious God. I saw a great white throne. Great, it's majestic. It's authoritative. It's white, associated in the book of Revelation and elsewhere with purity and holiness. So here is this majestic and holy, unrivaled authority, sterling righteousness, this throne in him who sits upon it. That harkens all the way back to Revelation 4 when we saw behind the scenes, if you will, to the throne in heaven and him who sat upon it. A great God, a glorious God, a holy God, a righteous God. Couldn't help but think about Hebrews 4.13 this morning. There is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. The day of judgment is coming, and this judgment will come at the hands of a glorious, majestic, holy, and righteous God. And judgment will be no respecter of persons. Verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The rich, the powerful, the popular, the elite, who may think that they're going to escape this, not at all. Before this great white throne and him who sits upon it, there are the great. The powerful people throughout history who think maybe because they're so cool that they are going to escape the judgment of God and it just will not be so. I don't have time, but I can't help. Luke chapter 12, you remember this rich man? Jesus told a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. He's a rich man. He's, he's great. He began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Heard one guy say that life is like a game of chess. You have kings and you have pawns, but when the game is over, everybody gets thrown into the same box. Everybody gets thrown into the same box at the great white throne judgment. The great and the small 
are all there. And this judgment will be based upon deeds and will be appropriate to them. I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So apparently there are these books or scrolls, and then there is this another book or scroll, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Anybody want to stand before a holy God with your hope in your deeds? God's judgment is going to come and it will be fair and it will be righteous. No one will be able to speak a word in disagreement because it will be based upon deeds. And the reality is that every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've ever read the book of Romans, from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is doing one thing. He's showing that everybody is a sinner before God, guilty before Him, without excuse, and at the judgment won't be able to say a word. We have thought things we shouldn't think, said things we shouldn't say, done things we shouldn't have done. We have not said things we should have said. We have not done things we should have done. We have not thought things we should have thought and even felt things that we ought to feel. Sin has infected us all and it has affected every part of all of us. We've all sinned. And the books are going to be opened and the deeds are going to be there. And judgment will be meted out. And it says there in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so these books show that every single one of us has sinned against God. And we're going to be judged according to those sins. And we have no hope in and of ourselves but, but there's another book. It's the book of life. And we've seen this book before, but it's a book that has the names of those who have been purchased by Jesus Christ. It's the names of Christians. It's the names of those who, when they heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus, said, yes, I want Jesus. Now, part of that good news was bad news. They heard about sin, and they heard about their rebellion, and instead of saying, I disagree, I'm not a sinner, I'm not that bad, I'm not as bad as somebody else, they said, that's me. 
I know I've sinned. I know I'm guilty. That's me. They, they owned up to it, and then they heard of God's provision through Jesus, that God sent his son to live a life they couldn't live, die upon a cross to pay the penalty for their sins, rise from the dead, and then freely, graciously, mercifully offer forgiveness and reconciliation. And they said to that news, not only, yes, I'm a sinner who deserves to be separated from God, but yes, I believe that Jesus is God's provision for my sin. And they take hold of him. They trust in him. They don't trust in themselves. They trust in him. From, if you will, beginning to end of the New Testament, that's what a Christian is. That's how one escapes the coming judgment. It's not by trying to stack up deeds on the good side to outweigh our deeds on the bad side. None of us can do that. Our sinful deeds make us guilty. We need forgiveness and we need help. And God gives it through his son, Jesus. Christianity is a message of grace and mercy. We sang about it, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Grace is God's kindness towards sinners who only deserve his wrath. God has been gracious through his son Jesus to all who will trust in him. This judgment will mean the end of all opposition to God and his people. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 15 of death being the final enemy. Isaiah prophesied about it that at the, at the coming of the kingdom of Christ that death would be no more. And we're about to read in chapter 21 that there will be no more death. And here, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So the beast is thrown in, the false prophet is thrown in, Satan is thrown in, Death and Hades are thrown in. God is clearing the deck for the establishment of his forever kingdom. I don't know if you know it. If you've been around Redeemer, I hope you know it because I've preached it a thousand times. Christians are going to die unless Christ comes first. We're going to die. But eventually, we're going to rise, and we're going to live forever. Death will be no more. Judgment is sadly sure for the unsaved. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And you see it in verse 14. This is the second death, the lake of fire. The first death is physical death that unless Jesus comes, every single one of us is going to face. We're all going to die physically. But the second death is this eternal death separated from God. It's time because we got good things to do in these baptismal waters. Believers, what do we do with this? Rejoice. 
that your name is written in the book of life. You remember when Jesus sent out his disciples and they were so thrilled at what God was doing through, through them and they came back and they reported and Jesus said, hey, very cool, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names have been written in the book. We rejoice that God has been kind to us, chosen us to be his and opened our eyes to our sin and the greatness of Christ and having trusted in him that our sins are forgiven and we are loved by God and we are written in this book of life. And I think a text like this encourages you and me to share the gospel. To share the good news of the grace and mercy and kindness of God that through his son Jesus Christ, people can be forgiven of their sins and made right with God and have assurance of eternal life. And if you're here today, if you're an unbeliever, I would just plead with you to turn to Jesus. He's the one that delivers on this coming day. Close with this in 2 Peter chapter 3. There was this attitude among some that, hey, look, life is just going on. Jesus hasn't come back this day of judgment. What is all this about? The Apostle Peter writes, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain, maintain this, it escapes their notice by, that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. First of all, Peter says, they have forgotten that God did this once. God judged the world at the flood. They need to remember. Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The message of the Bible is that this day of Revelation 20 is coming. And you can be judged on your deeds, or you can be resting in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he lived the life you couldn't live and then he died upon the cross to pay the penalty for all of your ungodly deeds. And then God raised him from the dead because what he accomplished was finished. And by trusting in him, you can be forgiven.
reconciled to God and have the assurance of eternal life. Let's pray, and then we're going to do some baptisms. Father in heaven, this is not a popular idea that there is coming a day of judgment and there is a lake of fire. But we believe your word and we want to trust it. We want to submit ourselves to it. And we pray that it would so impress its truth upon us that our lives would be shaped by it. And we would cling to Jesus. And we would be filled with compassion. And we would share the good news of the gospel. And Lord, if there's any here today who've never put their trust in Jesus for forgiveness, new life, eternal life, might you even now in the quietness of their heart draw them to yourself. Help them see their sin, the consequences of their sin, but then help them see what you have done through your Son, the Lord Jesus. He lived and died and rose for sinners just like them. And if they will trust in him, they will be yours forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.